Hi again, everybody. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for downloading the Bengals Booth Podcast. The It's a Beautiful Morning edition. As the Bengals wake up on Monday in a tie for first place in the AFC North after a gotta-have-it win over the Denver Broncos. Coming up, you'll hear radio replays from the victory, post-game comments from players and coaches, and analysis from my broadcast partner, Dave Lapham. Then, in this week's Fun Fact segment, you'll get to know one of many former Ohio State Buckeyes on the Bengals roster, cornerback Eli Apple. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Ultimate Bengals, the free-to-play next-level fantasy football game. Downloaded now from the App Store and Google Play, and here's a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered right to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. It's the greatest thing since Jeff Ruby's Generosity. Jeff Ruby is one of America's best restaurateurs, and if we're celebrating a special occasion in my family, there's a very strong chance that the precinct will be our destination. If you live in the Cincinnati area and haven't had the steak burrow yet, shame on you. Jeff and his family not only run exceptional restaurants, but they are great members of the community. The latest example being the $100,000 donation the Ruby family made to Western Kentucky Tornado Relief. This was not unusual. During the height of the pandemic, they donated $50,000 to Restaurant Worker Relief, and every Thanksgiving, they give free turkeys to first responders. So, thank you to Jeff Ruby. I love your restaurants, and I appreciate your big heart. Now, let's get to Sunday's game. When the Bengals got off the team bus in Denver, the following words were painted in giant letters outside of the visitor's locker room. Elevation 5,280 feet. Altitude sickness is real. You can't blame the Broncos for trying to put that thought into the Bengals' heads, but thin air also has benefits when you have a kicker like Evan McPherson. In the pregame warm-ups, he hit a 61-yard field goal in one direction and a 62-yarder in the other direction. So it was no big deal when the Bengals called on him from 53 yards out on their second possession. Evan has been great from 50-plus. He's made seven of them this year, tied for the NFL lead. Snap was a little bit high, but handled by Huber. The kick yes. has enough distance, and yes. it is good. So Money Mac delivers from 53, and the Bengals are on the scoreboard first as they take a 3-0 lead here in Denver. Here's McPherson on kicking a mile above sea level. I've never kicked an altitude before. Um, and so I was pretty, I guess, curious, you could say, and uh, how much of a difference it would actually make. And, you know, I, I'd say I noticed um, a pretty good difference, you know, on field goals and kickoffs. Um, ball was flying kind of both ways into the wind. Um, and definitely with the wind, it was, it was flying. Um, and so I was excited, honestly, for this game to kind of come up here and, you know, try kicking an altitude. Those were the only points in the first quarter as the two teams had as many punts as first downs. In the second quarter, Broncos quarterback Teddy Bridgewater threw a short pass to tight end Noah Fant that he turned into a 28-yard gain. That led to a 54-yard field goal by Brandon McManus that tied the score at three. The Bengals failed to get a first down on their next two drives, and late in the half, it looked like the Broncos would take the lead when McManus lined up for a 51-yard field goal attempt 
with 14 seconds remaining. He's already made a 54-yarder in this game. The snap, the put down, and the kick. It's on its way, no. and it no. is wide right. Wow. He missed it wide right. By and the Bengals dodge a bullet as McManus fails from 51. There were only nine seconds left in the half, but the Bengals were not content to run out the clock from their own 41-yard line. Here's Joe Burrow. You know, I knew we were going to be aggressive. I knew we weren't just going to take a knee. We were, we were close to field goal range. And with the kicker that we have, you, know, you have to take a chance there. With the Broncos secondary playing way downfield to prevent a Hail Mary, Burrow threw a 19-yard strike over the middle to Tyler Boyd, who immediately went to the ground, allowing the Bengals to call a timeout with four seconds left. That set up a 58-yard attempt for McPherson. The franchise record for longest field goal was 57 yards, shared by Randy Bullock in a regular season game and Mike Nugent in a playoff game. McPherson trying to give the Bengals the lead and set a team record in the process. Clark Harris will snap it back. Huber is ready as he looks back at McPherson, turns his head toward Harris, catches the snap. The kick is on its way. It appears to have the distance. It is good! A franchise record, 58-yard field goal. Evan McPherson giving the Bengals a 6-3 lead. After the game, I asked Evan the following question. When the Broncos lined up for their field goal attempt with 14 seconds left, was the possibility that you might get a chance to kick one before the end of the half even on your mind? Uh, it's in the back of my mind, but you know, honestly, at the at the time, I had to uh, I had to pee really bad, and <laughs> and so I would say, um, you know, let's, I'm not gonna say I want them to make the field goal. You know, I want. Um, our defense get a good stop, but I was ready to kind of go in the go in at halftime, use the bathroom, and come back out. Thankfully, Evan can wait. Prior to this year, no Bengals kicker had made more than four 50-plus field goals in a season. McPherson has made nine of them in ten attempts. Here's Zach Taylor. He's a weapon. He that, that's the best way to put it. You know, he's a weapon. Um, my son asked for his jersey for Christmas, if that tells you anything. So, uh, you know, that's usually a pretty good indicator that, that we like our kicker when uh, you, got, you got 11-year-old boys asking for their jerseys. So uh, just, just proud of the consistency he's brought to us. I certainly hope Zach's son gets his wish. The Bengals' first drive of the second half was their longest drive of the day. Pirine is the running back. Burrow hands it to Samaje, breaks into the secondary. He's at the 20 down to the 15, and tackled at the Denver 13-yard line. The Bengals drove 72 yards on 11 plays before stalling at the Broncos' 8. This time, Evan Almighty kicked a short field goal to give Cincinnati a 9-3 lead. To that point, it had been a tough day for Teddy Bridgewater, and it became a frightening one on the Broncos' next possession when Teddy landed on his head while diving for a first down and had to be immobilized and taken off the field on a cart. The Broncos quarterback was taken to the hospital to be evaluated and thankfully had movement in all extremities. Bridgewater was replaced by Denver's starting quarterback from last season, Drew Locke, and his second throw gave Denver its first lead. Locke will drop back to throw, looking left, throwing deep left. Good coverage, but it's caught for a touchdown. Patrick just abused the Bengals defender in coverage. I believe that was Waynes. There's a penalty flag in the end zone. Could it possibly be offensive interference? No such luck. It was taunting on Tim Patrick after his 25-yard touchdown catch to put Denver on top 
10-9. The penalty was assessed on the kickoff, helping the Bengals start from their own 32-yard line. Their first play was a 12-yard run by Joe Mixon, and after it, they rushed to the line quickly. Bengals don't huddle. They snap it to Burrow. Throws downfield for a wide-open boy. Catches at the 30. Great yeah. jump cut. Back toward the middle of the field yeah. to the 10. The nice. 5. Touchdown! Nice. Bengals! A 56-yard answer. Joe Burrow to Tyler Boyd. And the Bengals are back in front. In just two plays, the Bengals were back in the lead. Here's Burrow. Yeah, I mean, that's a great call by Zach. That's a play that we've repped in practice all week. And, you know, really credit to him. You know, he saw he saw what they were doing to us when we got on the ball and, and kind of hurried up. And so we got to, to that play, and that's, a, that's credit to Zach. Great call. A two-point conversion attempt failed, and the Bengals took a 15-10 lead to the fourth quarter. But with lock in the game at quarterback, the Broncos started moving the ball and drove inside the Cincinnati 10. Gordon out, Williams in, second and goal from the 9, 10 minutes, 47 seconds left. Cincinnati clinging to a five-point lead. Now Fant goes in motion out to the right. Lock faked the handoff and ran. Oh, the ball's taken away. away. Oh, Khalid Kareem ripped it out of his hands. Khalid Kareem running downfield to the 30, the 35. The ball gets knocked out of his hands. Denver recovers at the 42-yard line. Unbelievable. Recovered okay. by Garrett Bowles, the left tackle. All right, my question is, was he down? Was he touched when he was down? Not exactly, but close. After reviewing the play, the officials ruled that Kareem briefly went to the ground after forcing the fumble because of contact initiated by Denver's quarterback. So the run back and his subsequent fumble were nullified. Here's Zach Taylor on a possible game-saving play by Khalid Kareem. Well, as you know, it's game ball worthy. No question about that. But, you know, 15 to 10, uh, they're driving there on that situation and... You know, a touchdown puts us in a tough spot, so really big play by him to step up and take that ball away on a fumble or an interception or whatever they're going to call that, but um, really tremendous effort by him. After the team's traded punts, the Bengals got the ball back with slightly less than four minutes to go and made a huge play that forced the Broncos to burn their timeouts. 3.28 left in the game. It's third and 10 Cincinnati. The Bengals at their own 22, leading by five. Burrow drops back to throw, steps up in the pocket, Boom. throws, caught over the middle for a first down by Tyler Boyd. What a clutch throw by Joe Burrow, and Boyd reels it in for a 15-yard gain on third down and 10. Patrick Sertain with a stop. Yes, and uh, the veteran working against the rookie, and the veteran wins the battle. Boyd finished with five catches for 96 yards, more than 60% of Burrow's 157 passing yards in the game. You know, I, I knew I knew when my game was going to come like this. You know, I just got to sit back and be patient. You know, I'm a leader, and, and whatever they want me to do, that's what I'm going to do, no matter how the game go for me. You know, because at this point, I'm all about winning. And we got so much firepower in the offense that, I mean, once we got one guy going, that's that's what we're going to continue to feed, you know. And um, just just whenever our name is called, we, we, we make plays every in, game in, game out, you know, so it, it was a long time coming. With two minutes left, Zach Taylor faced a big decision on third and eight. Let Burrow throw, knowing that an incomplete pass would stop the clock, or run the ball to eat up time, knowing that a first down was unlikely. He elected to run the ball and trust his defense, and that decision paid off. 
final play of the game. Locke throws it deep downfield, throws it out of bounds. Four seconds on the clock. The Bengals will take over on downs, and they are going to win the game here in Denver. That is Coffin Nails. Bam, bam, bam. And I'll tell you what, it took the entire football game. This was a slobber knocker now. This was a defensive battle. Both football teams gave everything that they've got. They, they all left every bit of energy that they have out on the football field here at Mile High. The Bengals only had 249 yards of offense and went 4 for 13 on third down. But they didn't commit a turnover and got out of Denver with a 15 to 10 win. Here are Joe Burrow and Larry Ogunjobi. It's like that sometimes. Not every game is going to be you know, throwing for, for three touchdown passes and 300 yards and, and all that. They're a really, really good defense that has invested a lot in their secondary and, and linebackers. They're very well coached, and you've know, you got to give them credit. But you know, I was proud of our guys that we, we made the plays when, when they counted. You know, critical third downs down the stretch, um, exciting win. Um, like I said before, this is a very unselfish team. I um, mean, you know, there's a lot of guys who just work hard and come to work every day and, you know, want to win, want to play together. And it doesn't matter who gets the limelight, who gets the spotlight. It's just guys coming in and every, in and every day um, just trying to make plays and find a way to make the team win. So it's really exciting to be part of something special. Um, we're trying to build something here, something that hasn't been done in a while. And um, we're just moving forward, staying focused. After the game, Dave Lapham spent three and a half minutes with Zach Taylor. That was some physical football out there, Coach. Uh, <laughs> you... Uh, Beaten up in the secondary, beaten up in the offensive line. I mean, a lot of players stepped up for you today. They did. We're, we're using our full roster right now, you know, and but we've got faith in every guy on this team. Practice squad, active roster. Um, no moment has been too big for these guys. The coaches have done a heck of a job getting these guys ready to where we don't have to cover up any of, of these guys playing. You know, they're just going out there and doing what the starters have done and uh, making a lot of plays for us. At the end of the football game, no hesitation whatsoever. It's like, I, this deep, our defense is going to win this football game for us. You know, they'll, they'll be able to hang tight and, and hold uh, hold Denver at the end of the football game. I mean, did you even think about throwing it on third and eight? No, not really. Uh, you know, it's 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 their job to step up like they had all game, and I felt like they'd done a great job controlling the game, and and we had full faith that they were going to be able to tee off, get pressure on the quarterback, and make the plays we needed to. So the the fifty whatever yard touchdown pass to Tyler Boyd that was such a thing of beauty. I was trying to it, when I saw it live. I saw the cut block. I mean, I, I can't. I couldn't tell if it was CJ or who it was that they had the great cut block that kind of sprung Joe, where he he bought a little bit more time and then threw it to Tyler Boyd and Tyler, you know, took off for the fifty-plus yard touchdown. Do you know who that was that threw that cut block? Hey, was it CJ or Drew? It was CJ. CJ came across. They can both do it. Right. Drew. We've asked Drew to do that against Clayus Campbell. You know, similar deal. Uh, but CJ came across, got him on the ground. Joe did a good job pushing up in the pocket, and uh, TB was patient. To, to I'm anxious to see if he slipped behind those linebackers, what the safety did, because they were in some three-week there. But uh, it played out like we'd hoped it would. Coach, th- this defensive football team, they make you earn everything. They, they don't give anything to you. They, they don't make any mistakes. I mean, it, it, to watch them, it's like, oh, they're so sound. We've got so much respect for them, you know, because they've, they've not only got really high-end talent and character, but a really good coaching staff. And, and we knew it was going to be a dogfight. We knew it. it it doesn't shock me if you told me, hey, this might be 6-3 to three at halftime. It might be 15-10 to 10 at the end of the game. I, I would have understood that. And I thought our, our guys did a great job playing with poise. Our defense and special teams did a great job controlling the game to allow the offense to play how we needed to play. And, and uh, you, get a win, and you get a win that way. 
Joe Burrow, his pocket manipulation, I mean, he was Houdini, the way he escaped some things and a couple of big runs on third down. Third down was tough sled and third down, red zone's always tough with these guys, but um, Joe made a couple of plays with his feet on third down on top of the pass that he made to Tyler Boyd. What does that do when you have a quarterback that can create like Joe does? Oh, it takes the wind out of them. Um, you know, that's what great quarterbacks do in December and in January. They step up and they make the plays when, when there's maybe not a play to be made. And that's what Joe did for us a couple times today. So the, the Baltimore Ravens go for two again. They're unsuccessful, and they lose the football game. So now, as you're flying home from Denver, you're in first place. You got the tiebreaker against the Ravens. Same record, but you, you guys beat them in Baltimore. So... This football team has done such a great job at your, with your leadership of compartmentalizing after it didn't go well and compartmentalizing after it did go well. Yeah, it's good to be where we're at. We put ourselves in a really good position by doing some really good things this year, um, but everything's still in front of us. And, and first place really doesn't matter at the moment because we still got a couple divisional games left, uh, but it starts with Baltimore. This is a big home game. We need our fans to be loud and proud and, and cheer us on because this is a monster of a game this Sunday. Coach, appreciate your time as always. Big win. Congratulations. That flight home won't take as long now. Yeah, it'll feel good. Thanks, Dave. At the moment, the Bengals are the number four playoff seed in the AFC. If Cleveland wins on Monday, there would be a three-way tie for first in the AFC North with the Steelers just a half game back. The Broncos face the Raiders tonight and have a road game in Green Bay on Saturday. The Steelers head to Kansas City next Sunday. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Ultimate Bengals, the free-to-play fantasy football game. Ultimate Bengals will be awarding a weekly winner during the course of the season with tickets, autographed merchandise, and money-can't-buy experiences all up for grabs. Find Ultimate Bengals in the App Store and Google Play. Now, time for post-game analysis with my broadcast partner, Dave Lapham. Lap, I will use one of your terms. That was a slobber knocker. <laughs> Two defensive teams throwing haymakers, and the Bengals made just enough plays to get out of here with a win. I'm telling you, it was like survival of the fittest, you know, and uh, they're, they're tired. I mean, that, that, was a, that was a very – all of them kept saying that was a physical football game. That's a good football team. You know, it was, it was a game, Dan, where both teams had to earn everything. You know, neither team really gave, uh, gave the game away other than – you know, a turnover here and there that ended up being huge. Um, but for the most part, it was like, man, no, not a bunch of explosive plays. It was uh, just, I, I think it was a, a, something that defensive coaches at any level can throw tape on and say, this is how you play defense. You know, everybody does what they're supposed to do, how they're supposed to do it, be there, be where they're supposed to be, when they're supposed to be there. And man, it was, it was, um, it was well earned to say the least. 15 tackles for Jermaine Pratt. I know that's a guy you respect because he doesn't say much, but uh, does a lot of homework to be mentally ready for the game, and obviously he was physically ready for the game as well. Yeah, he was. I mean, that's that's one that was definitely tired in the locker room after the game, and I saw him a couple of times out in the football field, you know, um, taking extra deep breaths, trying to, you know, get, his, get the oxygen that he needed to get. And everybody talked, too, about how uh, impressed they were with you know Trey Wayne stepping up and uh, Fred Johnson stepping up and Carmen uh, Jackson Carmen stepping up and and doing things when they needed them to be done. Um, obviously, this aesthetically wasn't a pretty football game, but the outcome's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, how about the offensive line? Because as you mentioned, Fred Johnson went the distance at right tackle. That's your third stringer at right tackle. Jackson Carmen played most of the game at right guard. He's a backup now. He started earlier this year. I thought the protection was actually pretty good. Now, Joe Burrow had to scramble a lot because it was hard for guys to get open against that great secondary. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. I mean, even, even when he scrambled, they plastered and they weren't given an inch. I mean, that, that group, those, those guys are so on the same page. And Jesse Bates made a point about how, uh, when I talked to him about how everybody, um, not just starters, everybody goes, goes and watches that extra Tuesday tape. He said, we have a backup quarterback in there with us, talking about concepts and, and just football in general. So um, I thought, you know, I, I think that that's starting to show by their play on the football field. And you know that the Denver uh, defensive football team, they spend a lot of time together, you know, studying tape together and, and uh, communicating, making sure that everybody's on the same page. I can't tell you how hard it is. Uh, I asked, you know, both Fred and uh, I asked Fred basically, what was it like communicating in that crowd noise um, down the stretch when you and Jackson haven't played a whole lot of snaps side by side and he's like yeah we just you know don't worry about it let's make sure try to make sure we're on the same page as much as we are but let's just make sure we just go play football and don't let it bother us and I, I was impressed with there were no early movements no you know pre-snap stupid penalties that way I thought guys handled all that part of it pretty darn well it's just they were playing against a pretty good defensive football team the Broncos took Jamar Chase away. He had very little impact today. T. Higgins saw his streak snapped of 100-yard games at three. So who steps up? Tyler Boyd. Five catches, 96 yards, including the game-winning 56-yard touchdown and two other catches that were huge. The one that set up the field goal just before the half and then the 15-yarder on third and 10 late in the game. Yeah, he was talking about how, you know, he read coverage before, you know, saw man coverage and knew what he had to do and, Tyler Boyd's a guy that uh, just patient, you know. I mean, he's just so professional about everything, and and he knows his time's going to come. You know, it might not come every game, but he knows that there's going to be a point in time where he has to step up and make a play to help his football team win the game, and he's he's going to be there. I mean, that guy is about as dependable and reliable and tough and accountable. I mean, every good quality that you have to have to be a successful player in the National Football League, Tyler Boyd has him. I mean, he's one of those guys. He's, he's got total and utmost respect of all of his teammates. Every single guy uh, just really thinks Tyler Boyd is special in every, every way you can be special. The Bengals don't win this game if Duke Tobin does not go against the draft gurus and select a kicker. People say, don't draft a kicker. You can always find a kicker as an undrafted free agent. They spent a fifth-round pick, and uh, it worked out big time. Yeah, I asked him uh, after the game, what would it be like if you kicked in Denver every week? And he just started laughing. He said, I did no notice the air was a little less resistance there. And, you know, he talked about hitting the 260-yarders going in each direction in the warm-up part of it. And he said that he didn't hit the 58-yarder or the 53-yarder as well as he can hit them. <laughs> and he said, but they, they still, you know, ended up uh, working out okay. But And then... You know, I said, I don't want to short you. That 31-yarder, that was big, too, in a five-point game. You have nine points. I mean, all those field goals are uber important, you know, and, and look at the fact that he pushed one. He pushed one from 51 yards. That's You guys are making 50-plus yarders like, you know, it's a day at the beach, and he missed one. So that's, always, that's big in a game like this. Even in a game where the other team's secondary was outstanding, 
Joe Burrow is 15 for 22, 157 yards, one touchdown, no picks, passer rating of 103.6. And after the game, not like high on life at all over the fact that they've climbed into a tie for first place. It's, hey, we got bigger fish to fry. He is all business all the time. And I thought two of the bigger plays he made were with his feet on third down. For him to manipulate the pocket like he did and, and try to work that, that opening. I mean, you take your eyes from coverage and then you have to bring them down to the what the front four is doing and try to anticipate who's going to move where and how. That's not easy to do. And he processes that stuff so fast. I mean, he's a, he's a very, very unique player. There's no question about it. There's nothing about football that that dude does not understand. We don't know how this is going to time, uh, turn out, but we do know that with three games left, they're tied for first. And the uh, final few weeks of the season just got a lot more fun. And there's no doubt. I mean, they're... They're already talking about, you know, all year long we've done a pretty good job of, you know, not celebrating too long, put it aside, and not, uh, you know, drowning in our sorrows too long. If it didn't go well, put it aside. I have full confidence that they're going to handle this week right, and uh, they'll be ready to go against the Baltimore Ravens. That now is going to be another slobber knocker extraordinaire. How about the Ravens going for two instead of kicking the extra point to go to overtime for the second time in three weeks and failing both times? I think Harbaugh said analytics. Well, we want to for one. We can't go over two. We're not going to go over two. <clears throat> over two. <laughs> analytics, be damned. <laughs> All right, this was fun. Can't wait till next Sunday. I'm already fired up for next Sunday. No, I know this. Uh, this this will be these two division games out of these last three and you know i mean kansas city chiefs come on this it's going to be it is going to be nuts at paul brown stadium and if it comes down to it it'll be nuts up at the mistake on the lake in that last week of the season as well but i mean this is why you play the game to have significant meaningful football games in the month of december and into january more on Sunday's win, join Lap and Lance McAllister for Bengals Line, Monday night from 6 to 9 on 700 WLW. Now time for this week's Fun Facts segment, where you get to know the person under the pads. Time for some fun facts with Eli Apple from Voorhees, New Jersey, near Philadelphia. In fact, it's where the Philadelphia Flyers practice. Eli, you're a great athlete. Were you the fastest kid in the neighborhood growing up? Yeah, I was. And were you good at pretty much everything that you did sports-wise? Yeah, I mean, I prided myself on be, being good in all the sports. So I had two other brothers that played basketball, football with. So I tried to just do my best to keep up with them. There's a great picture of you on the Internet. I think you're in seventh grade. You're about 12 years old. You're posing with Ohio State's former head coach, Jim Tressel, I think from an Ohio State football camp. It was, but it wasn't. It was a... Uh, I got out there early, and my mom, dad, my brother, we snuck out onto the stadium just to, like, look at just, I don't know, just the stadium, look look around. I guess Coach Tressel was there, and we saw him, and we just wanted to say hi. We wasn't supposed to, but ended up getting a little picture in the stairs. Uh, the little security lady, she was old. She kind of tried to tell us to leave or something, like, <laughs> how'd you get in and stuff. She was, like, questioning us, and Coach Tressel was just real cool. Ended up taking a picture anyway, and then I took another picture with him later, a couple days after during the camp. We're doing fun facts with Eli Apple. You were one of the top recruits in the country. Did you enjoy it or did you find it to be stressful? No, no, I enjoyed my high school career and just the whole process of going through considering what colleges I wanted to go to. I already knew Ohio State was the one. 
So, You spent three years at Ohio State. You played a big role on a national championship team in 2014. What did you enjoy most about your Ohio State experience? It's winning, being a part of just history, being the first college football playoff champion uh, when nobody expected us to come back from our early season first home loss to Virginia Tech. So uh, just that season and building the relationships I built throughout that whole time. Your defensive backs coach at Ohio State was Kerry Combs, who's a legendary figure in the Cincinnati area because of his incredible run as the head coach at Coleraine High School. Can you describe your relationship with him? Because he has often tweeted things and and written things praising you. Oh, yeah, it was tough. It was a tough relationship when I first got there. He was really hard on me and then ended up becoming like just a second dad. You know, he really – somebody that cares about his players and he puts uh, his all into just coaching and just being – able to connect with this guy so um, we still talk a little bit today what is your favorite Ohio State football tradition probably just the best Fridays you know getting a good meal from um a little golf golf spot I don't even remember the Jack Nicholas Center yeah, right yeah the Jack Nicholas and then just the whole routine that we have of just getting our bodies right and getting massages just that whole day is pretty cool so you were the 10th pick in the draft by the New York Giants. It was apple to the big apple. Describe your draft experience. It was crazy. It was something that was unexpected. Uh, I didn't know I was going to go to the Giants. I didn't really have any prior talks with them at all. Maybe met with them maybe once or something. But, yeah, it was, it was exciting, though. Being from Voorhees, New Jersey, you're close to a major city, so I'm guessing playing in the Big Apple wasn't a huge culture shock for you. But what was the best part about playing for the New York Giants? I mean, it was it was great. It was just probably just, you know, being in the NFL, that was the best part, just that whole experience, just going through my rookie year, learning so much, and, uh, of course, just being close to home as well. But uh, I'll just say learning, learning that throughout that whole year and the ups and downs and everything. But uh, we – Pretty, we had a pretty good year, made the playoffs and stuff, but uh, just that whole year was pretty cool. After that, you played for the New Orleans Saints and made it to an NFC Championship game that unfortunately for the Saints included a controversial call or the, the lack of a call, a, a pass interference against the Rams that might have put you guys in the Super Bowl. Is that still difficult to stomach several years later? Oh, yeah, of course. Stuff like that you don't forget about, but that's why you work hard to continue to give yourself those opportunities to put yourself in that position to you know, make it to the Super Bowl and be able to win it. You seem very comfortable here. Is Cincinnati a good fit? I believe so. I think uh, the coaches and the way my playing style is, I think we um starting to learn each other and uh, just the guys around me as well. Uh, there's a lot of young guys and guys in the back. And I feel like we all communicate well. We just got to continue to strive to get better. What's the feeling like after a game when a coach tosses you a game ball? Oh, it's just a great feeling just to know that you've uh, done well enough to help the team win. So that's that's all it is, and just want to continue to get better and get more. All right, a few wild card topics with Bengals defensive back Eli Apple. Who is your favorite athlete of all time in any sport and why? That's rough. Uh, that's a lot of great athletes. I'll probably say Kobe Bryant, just the mentality he brought to the game and um, just the, the will and hard work and dedication he took every day into his craft. And um, I don't know, I'll, I'll probably say him. Do you feel like you have the Mamba mentality? I try to, you know, regardless, by any means, I'm trying to do whatever I can uh, make plays for the team. Do you have any hidden talents? 
I'm a good juggler. Yeah. Really? Yeah. How many objects? Probably just three. Yeah, three or four tops. Is there anything you are terrible at? Probably math. <laughs> yeah. Don't need it much in your current profession. Yeah, just a little bit. <laughs> Contracts. <laughs> Contracts, that's right. What do you like to splurge on? Like bags, uh, clothes, of course, hoodies, shoes, um, video games, cars, stuff like that. Do you have a dream purchase that you have not made yet? I guess get my first house. I haven't got my, myself a house yet, so I want to do that. If you could meet anybody in history, athlete, actor, statesman, religious figure, whoever that might be, who would that person be? Probably Malcolm X. I probably want to meet him. If, if we're talking dead and alive or mm-hmm. alive, yeah. Have you studied him? Have you read the autobiography? What's your uh, the state of your knowledge about Ma- Malcolm X? Yeah, I did. I read the autobiography earlier this year, and I had to read it twice. It was really good, and um, just a big um, I don't know. He just his life is just what he went through from the, when he was a criminal before he got arrested, and then after he got arrested, becoming a Muslim and throughout his whole life is just just the conspiracies of how he ended up, you know, unfortunately passing away and dying, getting um, assassinated. Just that whole journey to just see that throughout the book and, I don't know, it was really well articulated and uh, definitely a, a good read. I suggest everybody read it. Highly recommended. Last thing, what's your favorite thing about the NFL life? Uh, proving yourself. Proving that you're you're good enough and uh, proving that as a team that we made the uh, necessary improvements throughout the week to, you know, prove ourselves and, you know, see what challenges awaits throughout on Sunday. But I'll just say just coming together as a team and figuring out ways to win. You're off the hot seat. I appreciate your time. Best of luck the rest of the year. Appreciate that. That's going to do it for this episode of the Bengals Booth Podcast, brought to you by Ultimate Bengals, the free-to-play next-level fantasy football game. Download it now from the App Store and Google Play. And if you haven't done so already, please subscribe to this podcast, and if you have a minute, give it a rating or share a comment. That helps more Bengals fans find us. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for listening to the Bengals Booth Podcast.